I go to the mikvah every day of my life. I go to the mikvah every 365. And I go to the mikvah every day I'm alive. And I go to the mikvah like it's going at a style. Hello, my name is Shmuel Tenenhaus, and you are listening right now to the Shmuel Tenant House podcast. Yup, that's right. I have a podcast and I named it after my own name. Isn't that cute? Uh, the music that you heard in the beginning is actually from Shlema Muchkin, who is the composer and singer of our honored mikvah song. Shlema was kind enough to come and sing it in person, and that's how we have it. And after I ran for a couple of minutes here, we'll do an interview or we'll play an interview that I had the opportunity to record with Mr. Muchkin. So a couple of things on my mind before we jump right into that mikvah interview. And that is, first of all, I've been in the airport a couple of times, you know, just in the airport, not for any reason casually, just because I have flights to catch. Also, I land in airports when my flight touches the ground, and so I have to be in an airport. So when I was in the Fort Lauderdale airport, there have been ads that run over and over again talking about human trafficking and how so many people are involved with and are victims, actually, of human trafficking. And whenever I hear the ads and not the ads the maybe it's a public service announcement in the airport i feel terrible and usually the first thing that goes to my mind is what more traffic the traffic right now in south florida is terrible like when i was living here it would take a half an hour to drive from hallandale to miami beach and if you wanted to drive from hallandale to Aventura, it took like seven minutes. All you had to do was just go out of your house and, and drive on a bunch of train tracks. But nowadays, there's so much more congestion. Like, to get to Miami, it could take an hour. And Collins and A1A is always stuffed up. Same thing with Biscayne. So my point is, there's already so much traffic, and now... We're trafficking humans? That, that's, that's unbearable. And so whoever, I want to speak directly to the people doing human traffic, trafficking, I would say maybe 20, 30 years ago when there were less people living here in South Florida. But at this point, maybe find a place that's a lot less populated to do your trafficking, which is a horrible thing too. And you should be arrested uh, for doing that. So, uh, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm in a different room when I'm uh, recording episode eight of season two and a half, and that is because we are doing some painting in our house. The reason why we're doing painting is uh, uh, my wife said we're, we're going to paint it. Also, uh, I believe a couple weeks ago, there were buckets of paint on sale that some random guy was selling, and... Uh, my wife hopped a deal, uh, so we negotiated. Instead of uh, paying for 20 cans of paint, she bought 25 for the price of <clears throat> 26 or 27. It actually worked out for us uh, reverse. We paid a little more, but we hopped them because there was a shortage of everything. And I just want to say that to have the skill set to walk into a room and look at a wall and say, you know, I think we got to color that wall orange or paint it orange. That is a completely different skill set than I have because when I see a wall in my house, I always think, can a missile come through there? And if a missile will go through there, where are we going to go? Maybe to a hotel or to a friend's house? That's usually what I think when I look at a wall. Like, how safe is it from a missile? Next thing to talk about 
uh, and that is something that is tearing the Jewish community apart uh, by the seams. Uh, the Jewish community is like a pair of pants. There's one pant leg and another pant leg. And right now, it's being torn by the seams over a very controversial hot-button topic, which on the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast, we are going to fearlessly tread right over and dive right into. And that is Shabbos leftovers. Uh, There are two extremes right now for Shabbos leftovers in the Jewish community. One, extreme number one is when Shabbos is over, people open up their fridge and they look at all the fresh food that they had. Well, I guess fresh, but now fresh plus one day. And they go, leftovers are disgusting. We have to get this out of the fridge right away. Throw it out, take it out, take it out. Take it to the bachram or something. Then you have people who love them some Shabbos leftovers. They will eat Shabbos leftovers for weeks, sometimes to the point where you don't even know which Shabbos the food came from because now it's a combination of food from a whole variety of Shabbosim. Like, you'll see your friend eating something, and you'll be like, which Shabbos is this from? Is this Parshas Achrei? Or, or this is back from Tazria Mitzera? Uh, which week is this from? And they don't even know. It's kind of a healthy blend. Now, that's another extreme. What I'm proposing here uh, on the Shmuel House podcast is that there has to be, I would think, a middle ground, a better way to do that. And that would be what I refer to as leftover transparency, which is you can keep it in your fridge, but you have to be completely transparent that it's leftovers. That way, people who don't like leftovers know to avoid it. People who do love leftovers can jump right there into their Shabbos leftovers. And so, apropos to this idea I'm suggesting that when Shabbos is over and you have Tupperware left in the fridge or freezer, it could be your first freezer, it could be your second freezer, it could be your third or fourth backup fridges and freezers that I know that you guys are hoarding food, all of you. So now, what we do is we take some scotch tape and we tape the letter L, which also can be uh, stand for loser, but has nothing to do with leftovers. And I really don't appreciate the stereotype that somebody eating leftovers is a loser. This will not reinforce the stereotype because somebody who is putting L, what they are demonstrating is that they have such a strong self-esteem that they don't mind being associated with the shape of an L on your Tupperware. So that is what I'm proposing. I also wanted to share an anecdote that one time happened to me, which is why I'm calling for leftover transparency. Once upon a time, when I lived in Seattle, I went to a friend's house in the middle of the week. This is while I was still single. And according to people who were in my apartment, they said in my refrigerator, uh, there was a block of cheese uh, and nothing else. And so I was very hungry usually during the week. So I went to one of my friend's house and I'm not going to say what his name is. And it was, I believe, a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Could be a Wednesday. It was not a Thursday. I would say a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And I was starving because uh, I was eating up all of the cookies that his wife had baked with, uh, usually she was, uses uh, a quarter of a measurement of what the cookbook says to use for sugar, she will take out three quarters, leave over a quarter. I was fressing on those cookies. That should give you an idea of how hungry I was. Actually, she takes out three quarters of the sugar. There is one quarter left. Out of that quarter, she takes out another quarter, throws everything away. So now you're dealing with a quarter of a quarter. Okay, so we took down that sugar level. I was eating and fressing those cookies like Cookie Monster. And my friend said, what are you busy snacking on those cookies? Here, have something to eat. I have stew. And he proceeded to take out of his fridge some stew 
and it was in a Tupperware. And the problem was that I looked at that stew, and I took one good look at it, and it was very familiar looking to me. And I could not hold my tongue, and I said, Wait a second, this ain't stew. This is Shabbos Chalant. And that's okay that he wanted to serve it to me, but you can't reincarnate Shabbos leftovers under a different name, right? It's, there's election transparency. Now there has to be leftover from Shabbos transparency. So that is a story that happened to me, which is why I'm calling for this this evening. Another thing that I feel that it is taking the pants of the Jewish community and uh, tearing the community apart by the seams is uh, the following. It's a religious observance, and again, there are two extremes. Extreme, and and what I'm talking about here, because I have to tell you what I'm talking about, otherwise you're not going to know what I'm talking about, because you don't know how to read minds, because if you would know how to read minds, you would just go and buy lottery tickets and have a lot of money and not need to listen to this podcast. Now, what I was saying is, another thing, controversial topic, which is tearing the community apart, it's a very practical thing, is pizza washing. Do we wash for pizza or not? Do you have to put a sign in front of your house that says, in this house, we wash for pizza? If the Shmuel Tenel's podcast had a merch store, if we were ever to monetize the show, because let me tell you, baby, we are going to monetize the heck out of this show, and we are going to manifest that idea. What I'm saying is, if I had a merch shop, I would make a sticker that says, I don't wash for pizza. So there are some people who wash for pizza, and then the rest of us do not wash for pizza. Now, what is all this fear and loathing for washing for pizza? It's really not the washing. The washing is the quick part. The problem with washing for pizza is after you wash, when you finish the meal, you have to bench. And bench consists of a couple of paragraphs thanking God for the food you just had. And if you can thank God in a three-line paragraph of Baranafashis, or you can say, thank you, God, and it's going to be a couple pages long, there are those who just would prefer the, you know, the, the smaller version there. And so I don't have a solution, an elegant solution like I had with the leftovers. All I want to say is if I had to divide the from community into two groups, it would be those who wash for pizza and those who do not wash for pizza. Ironically, I will sometimes get shidduchim calls, somebody calling for a reference about somebody because somebody put me on their dating resume. You know who you are. And so they will ask all these crazy questions. Is the person tall? Is he short? Does he wear heels? Would he look good in heels? Questions that I have no idea why they're asking me. They want to know, is he cool? Is he with it? Is he still Hasidish? But is he still with it? But also, is he still chassidish? What I feel that matchmakers ought to do is cut to the chase and just ask one question. Does he or she wash for pizza? And that would be really a token to put people together and there's nothing else that you need. Uh, Now I want to do a small little ad read, and that is, like this. Are you worried about the COVID-19 virus? Don't worry. Be happy. Get vaccinated. This ad has been paid for by Moderna. We want to let you know about a new product offering that we have, which is called Moderna Plus. What it is, is a monthly subscription for $20. And each month, we send you a new COVID-19 vaccine so you can stay up to date with the latest vaccines that you have. There's actually an option for a lifetime subscription to this. Yes, that's right. Every month, Moderna will drop ship you a 
new vaccine for you to take. Also, for those who get the Moderna COVID subscription, just know that for our loyal customers, we have instituted a Moderna COVID punch card. And the way it works is every 10th vaccine shot that you get for COVID will be free on us. So you do nine, the 10th one is free. One more great offering from Moderna showing that we truly care about the spectrum of people and non-people is what we refer to as Moderna Corps. If you have a loved one who has died from COVID or from something else, and you're still concerned that the person may get COVID. Uh, so we have people in the Moderna R&D department who will actually go to the cemetery, figure out how to get into the coffin and inject whichever corpse of a loved one that you have, just to make sure that even though they are dead, they will be protected from the COVID-19 thing. Thank you. Okay, now back to our regular programming. Oh, there was one more thing I wanted to mention about that uh, Moderna ad is that for uh, number one, uh, if you call as, uh, right when you're done with this podcast, if you go to moderna.com forward slash the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast and you place your order for the Moderna Plus COVID subscription, Moderna will actually throw in a pair of steak knives for you and your family. That's right. You guys will be safe until the next iteration of the vaccine. Plus, you'll have steak dinners to celebrate the fact that you guys are going to live a very long time. Okay. Now, I wanted to talk about a couple other things. First of all, uh, a pet peeve of mine, and these are people that I refer to as question markers. Uh, uh, question markers, very different than uh, QAnon or conspiracy theorists. There's no connection with them whatsoever, and I have no idea why I even, I even brought that up because this is not a conspiracy-facing podcast. A question marker is somebody, typically somebody, that you really don't have much of a connection with, who sends you a question uh, via text or WhatsApp, usually WhatsApp, because for whatever reason, people feel they can get away with more stuff in WhatsApp. And what happens is you don't respond to their question for a couple of hours. Now, a couple hours go by, and you're just hoping that the person forgot that they asked you a question, but no. Hours later, out of nowhere, punctuation mark, a question mark, will come flying from this person right at you. I'm talking about nothing else. A stark naked question mark with nothing, as if to say, I have been waiting here for hours and hours and hours. I have stopped everything that I've been doing. I've put all meetings on hold. I told the mailman when he showed up to my house to come back a different day. Why? Because I'm waiting for you to respond to my text. Because I really don't know you, but I feel that you ought to drop everything right away and respond to me too. But I don't want to put in too much energy to give you a call or even leave you a voice note. All I want to do is send a question mark. For me, anybody who violates the question mark rule, instant block on my phone. I have a whole group of people uh, who I refer to as question markers. Uh, and if you don't believe me, send me a question mark and I will shadow ban you from my phone. The next thing we talk about is skiing. I have friends who go skiing. Most of my friends who go skiing, or I think all of them, uh, really enjoy it and they try to go a couple of times a year. A year. I've gone skiing too. I do not like it. It takes about 45 minutes to get the equipment on, 45 minutes to get the equipment off, and then you slide down the mountain for about two, three minutes and try to make sure not to bump into anybody else. Also, if it's possible that while you're sliding down, uh, 
a boot comes off and then you have another 45 minutes. So 45 minutes to get it on, 45 minutes to fix, fix that boot and 45 minutes to take it all off. For whatever reason, I have friends who like it. And the only thing that I can think about is to really enjoy skiing, you have to have so much money or own so much property that you don't mind taking a couple of hours to put the equipment on and take the equipment off. So I was puzzled for many years why people can endure all the, the effort that goes into skiing. Again, the common denominator I've, I figured out is wealthy people, usually owning lots of property, who have so much going for them that they don't care to be busy changing stuff again and again. Which leads me to my next idea about billionaires. I don't have a billion dollars. I don't know what gave that away. And uh, there are people now, probably 700 or so billionaires in the world right now. If I was a billionaire though, uh, the thing that I would be most concerned about is that people would just start dropping dead. And then what fun would it be to be a billionaire if there's nobody else to have that much more money than the other people? And so this, to me, really uh, answers and explains the phenomena of the Gates Foundation, which is he's a billionaire. And again, if people in Africa are dying, I mean, the party is over then because it can spread here and then everybody's dead and then you're just left with all just piles of cash and, and, and nothing to do with it. And so I love how if there's a Malaysia outbreak, if there's no water, Bill Gates is just making sure that, you know, the fun continues because, again, what fun is it to have a lot of money if, if there's no pe poor people left? It's just you with, with all the money. Okay. Now I want to get a little personal here and talk to you about depression and anxiety. I have both depression and anxiety. They're kind of like cousins. They, they hang out sometimes. Sometimes they show up by themselves. Now, there's been a lot of things that I've tried over my life to tackle my anxiety and depression head on. And there are many stories that I can share with you and I will share with you in the future about how my anxiety manifested itself or how my depression manifests itself. But the thing that I've found most helpful to remedy sometimes a dark mood is whitefish. I don't know what it is, about having a big tub of Acme Smokefish? I really don't. Uh, Costco sells them. They're, it's a large tub. I, I keep it in my fridge. I don't know if it's the omega-3 fatty acids that are in there, but for whatever reason, when I'm feeling blue or when I'm feeling down, just a couple of spoonful, sp spoonfuls of uh, whitefish will really do it for me. I'm not a doctor, uh, but I mean, it, you don't need an appointment. You don't need a prescription. All you need maybe is Instacart or somebody else's Instacart account and, and see. It does wonders for me. As we begin to uh, conclude the show, a few things I wanted to talk about that are marriage-related. Actually, the topic of this show is all about marriage. The first thing is I am writing a book, God willing, on marriage and relationships. And the title of the book is Help, My Wife Has 95 Love Languages. Uh, I hope this does better than the first book that I wrote, which nearly got me canceled, which is, which was, uh, men are from Mars, women zaining gansen the sugar. I actually didn't write that second book, but it's something I've been meaning to do. I wanted to share a marriage hack for uh, all the 
guys for the most part out there. Women, you can use it too if you're the lesser of the emotional ones. And that is, if you want your spouse to think that you really care about her and the relationship, here's what you do. Whenever you see your wife, look at her and just ask, are we okay? Also, random times during the day, send a text, are we okay? Never say, are you okay? Ask, are we okay? And ask the question 10, 15 times a day. What this demonstrates is, A, you notice the person. Two, it's not a person, we're a unit, it's a we. Three, if you ask this questions enough times during the day, your wife will start getting annoyed at you and saying, can you please stop asking me, are we okay? It's getting very annoying. Now what you do is you take that and you save that in your back pocket so that the next time your wife says, you know, you never ask how I'm doing, you can say, whoa, 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 look what I got here in my back pocket. Remember that time I was asking you, are we okay? And you said, no, I'm not okay if you keep asking me that question. Well, I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. The next thing. I find in a marriage with children, it is much easier to watch my children when my spouse is out of town. There I said it. It is way easier for me to watch the kids by myself as opposed to co-parenting with my wife. The reason for that is very simple. This is, by the way, when my wife goes out of town. This is not just like a, a sporadic hour that she's running an errand. Like she finds something on Craigslist and runs out to get it. That's not what I'm re referring to. This is when my wife is out of town. The reason why, again, IMHL is because when I am co-parenting with my spouse, 95% of my energy is expended on the following conversation. Whose turn is it to watch the kids? You had them, you had them before, I had them now. I know, but you took a nap before. I don't know, but that was right when we came home, but you slept in. So most of the energy that I have as a human being when my wife and I are watching our kids, I use about 95% of every fiber of energy I have typically negotiating with my wife about whose turn it is to watch the kids. So what happens is when my wife is out of town, I have to watch the kids by myself. But I don't have to use any of that energy arguing about whose turn it is to watch the kids. So I have way more energy and I'm able to give the kids attention that they typically won't even have even when my spouse is in town. And now, for the grand finale, I want to talk to everybody here very directly about the marriage crisis. There is a marriage crisis in our community. Most of you are probably aware of it, but nobody really talks about it. I must point out, I'm not talking here about the Shidduch crisis. The Shidduch crisis, or the matchmaking crisis, about the singles in the community, it's important, but it gets all the attention. If I had a dollar for every Jewish magazine that had a title that said, the Shidduch crisis, I'd have like $40, $50 right now, and I can just go up and buy myself a gallon or two of gas. I don't. I didn't get a dollar for that. I'm talking about, again, the marriage crisis in the Jewish community. And it could be other communities too, but I can only speak to the Jewish community. The silent majority of married people that I know are completely miserable, including some of you listening to this right now. I mean, nobody actually talks about it. You can't really talk to your parents because they're miserable about their marriage and their parents were miserable about their marriage. And this goes back to Adam and Eve. The problem is that 
you're miserable because you're stuck with the spouse that you decided a long time ago to marry. And now, for a lot of people, there's children. And as we've discussed earlier, there's the reverse hostage situation where your, your children are now keeping you hostage in the marriage. The problem is you can get divorced, but that's going to involve lawyers, money, time. There's a social stigma. And then you, do you really want to put yourself out there in the dating pool again? You got to go to the gym. You got to start taking care of oral hygiene. All the things that you've neglected since you got married. So how do we solve the marriage crisis within our community? So there's this, there, there's this service. It still exists. It was very popular. There was a news story about, you know, involved a hacking a couple years ago. It was about a website called uh, Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison was, is a website where people wanted to have extramarital affairs. They can go there and they can date people. Adultery, not a good thing. I don't, I don't believe in that, especially since people can now randomly hook up with other couples on Facebook. Why spend the money uh, on an Ashley Madison subscription if you don't have to? Uh, the idea that I have is that there ought to be shatchanim or matchmakers within the Jewish community that specialize in couples who are married and miserable because they just don't like their spouse, because their spouse is a complete tool. What the matchmaker will do is the matchmaker will try to pair that couple up with a different family. So basically, you have a husband and wife married with kids. They're living, let's say, in Jacksonville. The husband is just miserable because of his wife, everything about her. They have kids. They can't get divorced. There's, there's, there's human hostages there. Then you have, let's say in California, another couple that's married with a bunch of children too. In that marriage, the wife is completely miserable because, again, the husband was a cool guy when he was younger but then he just became completely mainstream and she's got no use for him at, at all and she wants to experience life. Now what the matchmaker would do is the matchmaker specializes, like I said, in pairing up couples with different couples. Now these are not random hookups. You have to get divorced and you have to get married for at least five years. That is the minimum commitment. So that the rabbis don't put an outright ban on this. I even have a name for this product. It'll be called a fresh pair because the idea is couples deserve a fresh pair. This solves everything because you don't have an issue with the sanctity of marriage or monogamy. You're just married to a loser. So what you do is the matchmaker, again, will help you find somebody who is definitely less of a loser and everything, you never have to miss a beat. You never have to go into the dating pool. So the matchmaker will be like, oh my gosh, I have this great guy. His name is Mendy. His wife drives him crazy. He's a very good guy. He has kids. It's an, Carpool is easy. None of the kids have allergies. They go to Orlando for Pesach. You are going to love them. Now, the, the beauty about this is, is that there's no social stigma because there's really no divorce. They just fly across country. They pack their belongings and they stay at the house and you explain it to the kids what's going on. Mommy, I thought they are fighting. This is the best for the family. There's no social stigma. There's no, you know, getting used to kids you know there's kids. You know they can. They know how to bathe kids. They had to wash kids. They've been pre-qualified because they have kids, and uh, I think it would just again give people an opportunity to, you know, to make some changes in their life. So I don't know if such a thing exists right now, but I'm proposing that again. There's every shatran that I meet. Every single one. I'm serious, without an exception, is dealing with singles. And it's about time that we found 
or we established Shatchanim who deal with married couples who are looking to mix it up. Alpi Kedusha V'tahara. Keep it all sneers, we keep it good, you send a profile shot, you have a resume, and again, there's no dating, there's nothing. It's a smooth landing, there's no tr transition for, for the father, the mother, the kids, and people go on their merry way. After five years, if it doesn't work out, four, four and a half years in, you call the Shatchan, and she starts looking for uh, a different... Hey, this is Shmuel again from the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast. Somehow when I was editing this, I managed to butcher it. So I had to do a re-recording and cut myself off. And uh, so there was just a rant there. I was going, going on a rant, and the rant is done. And now we will move on to the second portion of this podcast, and that is an interview that I did with the Spotify and streaming music sensation of the Jewish world and the world at large. I go to the mikvah every day of my life. I go to the mikvah every day of my life. And if it's hot, I'm gonna brave it. We should start again. Forgot the words <laughs> to my own song. <laughs> or you could leave it if you want. I think we're gonna leave it just <laughs> like this. I think this is a much better thing right now. Because uh, you can't script this. You can't, you can't script this. No. So in honor of Spheris Eimer, we're not going to let Spheris Eimer take us down. No, no, no. Uh, the mikvah song that we had played as an intro uh, was written by Shlema Muchkin, who was kind enough to drive all the way down in Florida with all the congestion and come here so we can do a live intro. Mm. Yeah. You want to do it one more time? I go to the mikvah every day of my life. Yeah, that's the, that's the basic song. Okay, okay, I got it. Um, so anyways, thank you uh, for, for meeting you in person. And I appreciate the opportunity, one, to be able to use your song on the podcast. Mm. And um, yeah, it's, I, it was a perfect fit. Uh, I was driving, we were driving with my kids in the car and my son told it to me. So I guess the word is out. The word is out about the song. Definitely a lot of people have heard it. It's uh, it's pretty cool. And uh, I feel like I, I made mikvah cool, kind of, you know? Because mikvah, like, even in my own life, it became such a drag. You know, like, so, every morning I have to go to the mikvah. But, like, I was like, ugh, you know? Essentially, though, did you make mikvah great again? I think I might have, yeah. Okay, amazing. Okay. Um, if you ever run for president of a show <laughs> or something, that That's could right. be your slogan. That's right. Amazing. Okay, so I have a, obviously I'm very curious about your one, your creative process, mm. and then just what it's like having a viral mikvah song. So the first question is, when the song, when you say, I go to the mikvah every day, I am curious. Mm. Do you go to the mikvah every day? Is that actually, or is it more aspirational? <laughs> By the way, is. did you get what I did with the aspirational? Because it's mikvah, okay. <laughs> I do go to the mikvah every single day. Wow. Literally every single day. Wow. Since the mikvah song came out, there was one day that I missed the mikvah. I'll be honest. There was one day. But, for but the it was song, after the song came out. After the song came okay. out. Okay. But like, there was, there, there's a crossover. It wasn't like the day the song came out, I was like, oh man, I have to go to the mikvah, so mikvah now because I made the mikvah song. Exactly. I was dreading this actually. What? Which this part? question. Oh, uh, this like, question. Oh, do you go to the big for every day? Well, um, I get it, that it, is, yes. it is a, like when, look, so let's say Amy Winehouse okay. has a song or had a song. They, they try to make me go to rehab. Like mm. she needed to go right. to rehab. It was real. Exactly. So usually people's art reflects real life. So that's why I was curious about it. Right. Um, it's very cool. So does that include Yom Kippur and Tishabov or? I was, when I were, you're not supposed to go on those days. Okay, so you're saying, yeah, I go to the mikvah on the days we're supposed to go to the mikvah. Okay, yeah, yeah. so, and except for that one time where you did not make Listen, it. Listen, the, the version that I put out is actually not even the first version. Okay. First version was like, I couldn't, I couldn't publish it. I, I managed to actually infuriate all the females in my life. Okay. When they heard it, because, because like... 
towards the end of the song, you know, like the, I, the way I sing it is at the end I go, so I do that, but in the first version I was like, you know, don't drop the soap, don't drop the soap, <laughs> drop the soap, yeah, if you drop it, don't pick it up. And the women didn't like that. They didn't like the visuality of like the whole like dropping the soap in the mikvah. Got I it. thought they, it was hilarious. They, they did not but get that. It's not the first time I thought something was hilarious and, you know, it was offensive. Yeah, it happens. Okay, um, well, I have to say that the song, how, how it is in its final yeah, version, yeah, it, it really, it's very good. And yeah. it's, uh, when, it's the perfect medium. When, when I heard it, it really, I was like, wow, if yeah. I ever do a podcast, which I was planning on doing, and that this has to be on the podcast. Mm. And who knows, one day, I, I guess I manifested you, manifested <laughs> meeting you in person. It, it really has happened. It came from a, a call. So uh, I think you may have just answered this question, but when we talk about I go to the mikvah, is this from the perspective of a man or for a woman? Well, I did get some feedback from the female audience. Okay. Who definitely said that, you know, a woman told, told my wife she was going to the mikvah and it actually, she couldn't get the song out of her head. So I'm not sure if that's a negative or a positive, but. But I'm saying for know, women also, for a man to go to the mikvah every day, that's a fine. I have to jump gates to go to the mikvah. You know, I hope also, the mikvah is perfect. Also, if a, if, you know. if a woman has to go to the mikvah every single day, yes, it's going to be a problem for the family, it's going to be a problem for everything. You should have a doctor take a look at that. Hunch, Humber, I, I agree too. So maybe for women, it's I go to the mikvah every month or every couple of weeks or... Uh, when I'm supposed to go. Uh, okay, something, I think... Something like that, yeah. Okay. I'll talk it over with the ladies in my life. They're in charge of, uh, you know, the content. Okay, amazing. So now I have a question about um, just this song being so... It's all about mikvah. I don't even know of another mikvah song. So the question is... Uh, have you been contacted by any mikvahs around the world to license this as an MP3 so when people go in, they can hear it and they can get into are the there, swing there, of things? Are there mikvahs that have music in the background? I don't know. I think it would be a nice... Sponsorship? They do have, like, I mean, they try to Come create... Come to our mikvah. We have the freshest towels. You know? <laughs> the, the freshest towels, the best heat. We have a loudspeaker, uh, double-sided... Well, we, maybe we can manifest it, you know. Yeah, that, when that's... When Mashiach comes, I think there's going to be a lot of extra mikvahs and competition, and that's what commercials will be like. Remind me, I was <laughs> I spent a summer in Antwerp, mm. and uh, they're very, I don't know, I would say competitive, but they have, they're very into the mikvah experience. So there is a part of the song that says, if it's dirty, what's how does that work? Because what's the words? What are the lyrics? Yeah, if it's dirty, I don't mind it. Okay. So, which is my next burning question. <laughs> okay. What is the dirtiest mikvah you've ever been into? Well, there's the classic, famous Kastira mikvah in Crown Heights, which was absolutely filthy. It's actually the one that the Rebbe went to before people, Bacham, started to, you know, stalk the, the mikvah. So the Rebbe started going to the ladies' mikvah. But the Rebbe used to go there, and I used to go there as a kid with my father. My father was very diligent about dragging us to the mikvah every single day. And you know what? It, it has paid dividends I, because... I guess so. I guess so, yeah. You made the, the mikvah yeah, song. you know, and you grow up hearing these stories about it. And I never was challenged with the mikvah. It was like something that I did sometimes. I didn't do it sometimes. It wasn't like the best experience, but I didn't mind it so much at the same time. But I never felt this connection to it. But then when, when the pandemics happened and they shut down the mikvah and then they shut down the beach... And I'm like, what do you mean? I, I can't go to the mikvah? Like, like I want to go before Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, you know, Shavuos. I want to go. These Yom Tifs are coming. I have to go to the mikvah. So I started to go to the mikvah, like, wherever I could. Like, you know, like, it's like I'm, like, looking for drugs or something. Where could I find the mikvah? Like so, a mikvah junkie. Right, mikvah junkie, yeah. So, like, there was a swimming pool that was, like, a couple of houses down where I knew the guy was trying to sell it. He wasn't there, so I would go in there sometimes. Yeah, but that's very. By the way, that's a great tactic for a real estate agent uh, to sell the house. You just have somebody come by casually in the middle, do, do the mikvah dip. You can explain right. to them. There's loads of spirituality going this on mikvah, in this, of course, in this, this body mikvah. of water. Um, uh, and then uh, I used to go in the bay a lot. Okay, like, randomly and like, you know, like you mentioned that in, in your song too. Yeah, in the bay, right? That's right. I, I used to, you know, on the one ninety five, like that part where like it goes from. Like downtown from the ninety five, you can go. You go to you know like South Beach or Miami Beach. Yes. So I used to pull over on the side of the road there and just go into the water right there. So I started like really behaving like a mikvah chunky because okay. like it became a thing, you know. This was during COVID. During COVID. So the mikvah, you think and the mikvah, the mikvah song, song came? Yeah. The mikvah song came through yeah. COVID. 
Yeah. So your ability. It's weird how things like manifest. The song itself, I had this like thing like, okay, I have to go to the mikvah no matter what. My ancestors. They broke ice to go to the mikvah, you know, and it was Russia. I live in Miami. It's gorgeous everywhere. The water's beautiful. You know, like I should be going to the mikvah no matter what, you know, like I have no excuse, you know, and it's easy. I don't have to be, I don't even have to be spiritual. It's like a ritual, you know what I mean? It's like something that, you know, I, I can't, I only do things if like, it, like I, can, I, I can only connect with things if it's like permanent. There's something like, if I'm not really doing it, then it doesn't feel right. So the mikvah, like when I go every day, then it feels right. If I miss and I don't take it seriously, it's gonna fall away. It doesn't feel the consistency. Yeah, I like, I like the routine. Yeah, I like when things are like I decided that this is what I'm doing. You know, these are the things that inspire me. Okay, so you got actually to my next question, which was the inspiration for the song. So we got that. Um, just again, we we don't want to get too into the nitty gritty. Uh, oh, I love nitty gritty, but. Turnstiles in a mikvah, do you think there, there's a place for turnstiles or you think the mikvah should always be an honor system? Like the <laughs> I, subway. You know, you know, actually, in New York, all the mikvahs, the, the credit card parts are all broken. And, like, you stand there and, and there's turnstiles there. And everybody's coming there with, with their cards and just scanning themselves. And I'm trying to buy or thing. I can't even get in. It became a whole hassle, you know, in New York. It's actually not as easy to go to the mikvah there as I thought it would be. I thought it would be, like, wholesale. Mikvahs everywhere, you know? No, not so easy. No. But on Shabbos, they must take off, uh, disable the... Yes, yes, Shabbos is... Uh... Oh, Shabbos. What will we do without Shabbos? It's <laughs> yeah. a non-credit card day at the mikvah. <laughs> okay, so uh, another question. Mm. For the mikvah song, will there be a music video? Have you considered it? I've, I've definitely considered it. And then it. what would be the visuals? The just idea. people coming in, dropping towel. You have kind of uh, censored on the screen. People can't see. Is there more people kind of dancing outside in front of the mikvah? The visuals that I have is like like still water and then my head coming out of the water singing, you know, different beautiful settings, you know, in a beautiful swimming pool and a beautiful beach, you know, and just like my head coming out of the water singing the songs. But I, like... Music videos sound like too much work. I agree, especially compared <laughs> I agree, to which audio. Which is why I love the Shmuley Tenenhaus podcast. <laughs> There's no no work, no creativity. I know. Uh, just a, um, a microphone plug. Water or seltzer. Yeah, That's... water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the water wasn't even mine. Uh, the seltzer <laughs> was mine. Uh, I don't usually <clears throat> have that much. Yeah, I, I can't lose the fun from it, you know. If it's not fun, it's just... Uh. So... How has the feedback been from people? Like, have you heard from people that you've never heard from before? Anybody, any anecdotes around at feedback? First, at first a little bit, but like not really, you know, overall. Like, I think there's, there's like 30 people who listen to my music 24 hours a day and nobody else has heard it. You know, like it feels that way. It feels, it's weird because like there's a lot of listenership, but like... I haven't broke out and it's like you could see all these numbers today where people are listening and you could tell it's the same guys who are listening and also I could tell that people are listening to my music during Sphero which I, I actually the main wow. reason main reason why I came on the podcast was to tell those people who are listening to my music stop listening to my music on Sphero <laughs> so it's impossible your music is just too irresistible I, I think so yeah and I, these I, guys I, just cannot live without it it is literally a situation <laughs> right now because nefesh for them I know that if they if they do not hear that or it could be a, a woman woman pregnant right and she's having cravings she has wants pickles and ice cream she mm -hmm. wants to listen to Nikva yes, song that's right <laughs> you didn't understand yeah um, and it's possible that one, the people that are listening are not necessarily Jewish, right? Because even if they're in That's Brooklyn, okay. could be it's a, a hit. on the person. Exactly. People from Jewish. a different country, they're interested in the... I uh, that there's a Yid, Chas V'Shalom, yeah. listens to music on Sverdin. No. And then, uh, or it could be a, a, a deaf person who just loves feeling... The vibrations of my deep voice. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's... I've that's, heard that before. Okay. Um, or maybe kids on their bar mitzvah. I mean, there's so many things that that, that, that could That's be true. that could be happening here. Are women, are women allowed to listen to music during Sukkot? I think with their with, I think with their left to, with their mitzvah. left with their left ear. It's a mitzvah shows my grandma, right? Do you okay. remember in the beginning of COVID? I think it was Sfira during COVID where they said people shouldn't be that you know the, some rabbis were like people shouldn't be that particular about listening you to know, music. I do remember that they were saying 
that you washing your hands is like going to the mikvah before Yom Kippur. So the truth is that one day that I missed mikvah since the mikvah sun came out, I probably washed my hands. So I have never missed the mikvah. Okay, wow. Definitely say that. Since the song came out. Probably ever in my life, because I wash my hands plenty, so technically it could be considered going to the mikvah. Well, also, Arab Yom Kippur, you do go, specifically go three times, so you kind of have credits. Yes, I have extra credits. Backup. Um, Okay. We got a couple more questions. I appreciate you uh, bearing with me. So uh, this is a philosophical one. If somebody goes to the mikvah and he dips mm-hmm. and then he comes back up for air and he goes back down, can that person be conv- you know, accused of double dipping? Hmm. Well, I mean, you're supposed to double dip, right? Okay, that's, that's true. For one but time, you're supposed to double dip. You're saying, that okay. And Pesach. Right. Okay, so you're saying, in general, double dip has a negative connotation. There are two exceptions to this rule. Yes. Pesach at the Seder. Pesach at the Seder. And then any time in a mikvah. A hundred percent. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I actually didn't finish telling you about the horrible mikvahs that I've been to. Yes, yeah, I've been waiting for that. There's the Karastira mikvah, which Karastira we heard. Karastira mikvah, like, like every time I think about it, I also think about the, uh, they had a lot of bugs, water bugs there. So I think about those bugs in like the Men in Black movie who like smoke cigarettes, the cockroaches. Like those guys were sitting there selling you towels by the mikvah, by the Kastera mikvah. Hey, you want a towel, huh? You know, like these massive cockroaches over there. That's how filthy it was. But how filthy can it be if the cockroaches were alive? <laughs> these are, New York cockroaches are another level, you know. It's not Florida water bugs, you know, that you could kick over, no problem. Okay, these are aggressive New York. They've been there. Veterans. They know potholes, (laughs) throwing garbage on the street. Exactly. Um, Okay. And then one summer, um, there was, uh, I was in Israel for a summer, and they didn't have a mikvah on premises, so they, they found this massive oil tanker, like, and they cut it in half, this plastic oil container thing, and they filled it up with water, and they said, that's the mikvah. So, like... It was clean the first day. It was a little oily, but like it never, they never changed the water the rest of the summer. So every day it got a little bit more, uh, you know, and it was open to the elements. And as Floridians, we know if you put water outside for more than five minutes, it's, uh, you know. It's leaves and lizards and iguanas. You're just making a habitat, you know. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, you know they have habitats here in Florida, all over the place, wetlands and habitats. Nobody goes there because it's either too hot or because it's nature. They'd rather people would rather go to Dave and Buster's. Um, yeah, I know. I people want to be indoors. Um, so I have two last questions. That's all I uh, got to do, and then maybe we'll go back to any other more you know, very dirty mikvah <laughs> uh, anecdotes. So. Because now you're an authority on mikvah, one has going there, somebody who's a mikvah junkie, uh, self-proclaimed, and also now you have, to my knowledge, only viral hit mikvah song. Do you have a message for people who go to mikvah and it's lots of people there and they, they will take two hooks, mamish, literally one <laughs> right next to the other one, and they see people coming in, people coming out, but no, they have to put their shirt on one and the pants on the other. I try to stay positive when I think about the mikvah, you know. It's not the most glorious experience, you know. When you're going uh, during COVID to the bay, it's beautiful and magical, you know. But when you go to the regular mikvah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty not. But, you know, you just, you know, still dealing with the toe fungus from 40 years ago, you know. Where at the mikvah? <laughs> no, I was on my toe, you know, like... You know, it's not, it's, uh, it, it, it has a negative connotation. There's a lot of negativity to it, you know. Like, going as a kid, I didn't want to go. You don't want to go in a boiling or freezing cold. And, like, my father was always laughing really loud in the mikvah. So it was, like, this traumatic experience. <laughs> experience. So, like, I had to make it cool in order to even want to go, you know? Okay. But uh, So you are basically reshaping the narrative of your childhood trauma. To, yeah. Of your ch- childhood yes. trauma. Yes. I think so. It was, mikvah was traumatic, you know? It's weird. It's strange. And you're doing it through music. A yeah. creative outlet. Yeah. I was also like in the mikvah, thinking to myself, why is there no mikvah song? I didn't know there is actually another mikvah song, which I didn't. But it's not a hit. I it's not on Spotify. I didn't listen to it because I don't want to, you know, I want to be a purist. <laughs> I listened for a second. I'm like, yeah, it's not what I meant. Okay. You know? Like, there's something, you know, it's like so deeply cool to be a from Jew in in a lot of ways, 
you know we grow up with it and we take it for granted but but like you just have to rediscover the cool you know i think that's what growing up is about rediscovering these things for yourself you know at some point you have to decide you know i want to be a person who learns or goes to the minion or goes to the mikvah you know like these what do i care about you know a mikvah was something that i said to myself i can care about it even how bad are the experiences the song itself says how bad are the experiences you know sometimes you got to jump a gate for it sometimes you have to go into a filthy disgusting mikvah i'm I, i'm i'm a hairy person when I come out of the mikvah, half the time I'm more hairy than when I went in. I like vacuum the hair of other people onto me. It's it's not a fun experience. Do you like to mix though? <laughs> the, well, the mix uh, of colors, the you know. I'm already colorful the, enough. The, the, mix of, the, the mix of fabrics. Uh, then I had this is more again futuristic about mm. the mikvah. You had mentioned uh, futuristic, but what are your thoughts on either? Um, Flavored water for the mikvah. Just mm. saying, if you're going to go there mm. and you're going to swallow some anyways, okay. just something to consider. And the other thing is, you can have something that's uh, like has a, a good scent to it. The water, like what are some like natural or good smelling herbs mm. that would just be killer? Like you come out of the mikvah and you'll just, you know, maybe somebody take like, I, I don't know what flavor I'm thinking about. What's the thing that uh, it's like? Like pine. Pine. Pine smell. Or potpourri. Potpourri. <laughs> there's a, there's another one I'm talking about. It's it's like a very menthol type smell. Um, lemonana. I don't know if it's lemonana, but uh, and I think again, like what you're saying, is like instead of having a negative connotation. Yeah. Does it have to be water? Maybe you could put other stuff. Why can't you be you know iced tea? I would do an iced tea make fun. It sounds amazing. An iced tea mikvah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. That probably will work. Hot or cold, by the way. Right. No, I said iced tea. I, I will, uh, and even if you tell me you can't, it has to be water. Could it be seltzer? At the minimum. Seltzer, with bubbles. Seltzer mikvah. A mikvah with bubbles. I'm, I'm, you know. Fitzy bubbleach. Mm. Fitzy bubbleach. Yeah. So we can do that too, and just for the listeners, which is by the way the same. 24 people who are listening right. nonstop to your music during Sphera. That's right. You are not a musician by trade, meaning this is not your primary occupation. No. You do this because you like you love I, music. I do this because because probably more like I don't like music. Because like something happened like with Jewish music like like you have this also in the basic non-Jewish world you see the same thing where like there's no rock music anymore you know there's no cool you know you know music like that anymore it's all digital you know which is great and like I think of it as like the coming of Mashiach or something but but at the same time there's like there's like the music in the non-Jewish world and in the Jewish world is not as fun as it used to be you know like who's the biggest stars in the Jewish world Mardachai Shapiro and uh Benny Friedman and uh, an Shmuel, eighth day Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast. Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast, yes. But it's it's well, you're. Well, I'll tell you, you're different actually from those guys because those guys are catering to children, which is great. I want as much children content as possible. But what about us adults? Like, who's you know? Is, is there movies and TV shows coming out for us? It's, no. It's what is, is there? Is there podcasts? The you're was the first person I know who's making an adult. Podcast. Was the mikvah song intended more for adults? Like, who was your intended audience? The mikvah song was a mistake from the beginning. Okay, but most I didn't of the, intend to make the mikvah so song. So were you, That's and not so even was the track. So I I made that track for a different song. Okay, but some was, of the I, some of the best things in the world <laughs> come from a mistake. One hundred percent. So I'm saying the mikvah song just manifested out of thin air. This was Hashem deciding. It's like when suddenly you have a tree in your backyard and suddenly guava fruit come out. You're like, whoa! I didn't know that. You know? So you wanted to recapture, like, or just make Jewish music fun? I'm, I'm, Jewish music is, like, in every pore of my body. You know, it's in everything. Like, like I, the soundtrack of my childhood is Avram Fried, Mordechai and David, and Piamenta. You know, the Piamenta was in 770 playing by Kaisel Bracha. The Rebbe had a personal rock band. I mean, that's crazy. And they were awesome, you know? Piamata was so good. At every wedding you would go, it was awesome. Everything was like awesome music. It was like the story of my childhood. 
And like I grew up, and it's like, who's making awesome music anymore? That's some Israeli guys. It's, eh. You know, it's like, I'm going to do it. So I made one CD somehow. I thought it's all right, you know. I'll try to continue making music. It's actually a bigger pain in the neck than, you know, I thought. <laughs> but, uh, you know. And do you get satisfaction, though, from the creative work? Because essentially you're creating something new in the world. It's weird. It's weird. It's weird to create something out of thin air. It's weird. Music itself is a strange thing. Strange. Like, all like, what did I really do? You know? Like, I, I, so here's what I did. I, you know, originally, uh, for years, I, I was a musical person as a kid. You know, when, before I got married, I, I used to play guitar and I got pretty good at it. And then I got married. And, and then basically all your habits and your personality. No, no, it was one thing. I was, I was secretly thinking about shoving myself into music, like my whole life. And then, like, right after I got married, my shver tells me, <laughs> he says, Shlema, I hope you're not going to spend the whole time playing guitar at the beach. You're like, there go my plans. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> he was right, because, like, I couldn't fathom making a living making music. It just didn't seem possible. Like, who's going to buy a CD from me? Who, who, who's going to come to a concert of mine? Like, there's no... Even the big guys are not making money. But in the last 15 years, a lot of people started making good money. People make good money just putting out music on, on Spotify, you know, and YouTube. People make good money on these things. So that's part of the change. And also, uh, I moved by the beach. So I can play guitar at the beach whenever I want at this point, you know? That's a great thing. Yeah. I hope you don't stop and you continue producing music. I might stop. I might stop. <laughs> well, you shouldn't. Well, I might stop anyways because I, 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 have, I have a book in me too. You know, and I, gotta, I, I have to like, I have these creative things that must come out. I get it. You know, I'm like, I, I think to myself, I, like I almost am trying to make a schedule. Like, okay, Mondays I'll try to make music and Tuesdays I'll work on writing and Thursdays I'll work on painting. But like, there's not there's not enough time. Like, I I can't wait to retire. Like, I when I listen to your podcast, I think to myself, why isn't he and I paid to just be, to just be? Isn't that enough? They want I, us to work too. Yeah, no, I They I, want us to actually work. Yeah, why can't we get paid for things that are fun and come natural? You know what we have in common? We were both ninety two directors in Guy Nistrom on show. Ah, can your kids ever get back there in camp? Maybe one of my kids might be funny enough. No, no, what I'm saying is, will he ever get accepted as a camper? Oh. I did did upset Yisrael Kamachkin a couple of times. A couple of times? A couple of times. He was like, Shleva, no, no. Like, they they made me general in Bog War. And so, like, we, uh, they made me into the... So, so the, my team was called like Hafatza Sayadas or something. I don't know what to do with it. So I decided I started chant, Jew bag, Jew bag, and they were like, one of the staff like panicking. He's like Junis, Junis, and that became our you know slogan. <laughs> you know, so he was like, what did you say, Jew bag? What is, I heard you said something. You know, and then uh, we did a hypnotizing skit once. Me and uh, David Schoenstein actually, we did this hypnotizing skit. We were Hasidic guys. And it was, and then we made as if, uh, you know, we hypnotized and there was girls and it was like fake. But he was like, what happened? There was girls there? I must say, I heard something about girls, you know? So, you know, it's hard. But, uh, you know, it was a fun job. I'm sure you loved it. How many how many activities did you actually do? Not really a, Not lot. a lot. Maybe 10, 11 the whole summer. Yeah. However, I was definitely a thorn in everybody, in every staff member's uh, shorts. And uh, <laughs> definitely maybe we'll dedicate an episode to some of the shenanigans that we did there mm. so I have one last request if you mm. can do it just an outro for us just end off with 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 the mikvah song as as the the last piece of all of this like a farewell like a the by the way business idea that I had oh. mm-hmm. a kumzitz but in the mikvah and it's a kumshvitz kumshvitz kumzitzschvitz a kumzitzschvitz I'm all kumzits out right now, to be okay. honest, because I was just in Orlando for Pesach. Okay. It was like one long kumzits wherever I went. But was it a kumzits? It was not a kumzits. No. Okay. That sounds great. It sounds horrible for the instruments, but great. Maybe it's just vocals. For the voices. For the voices. Oh. Oh. You know, my father has a schwitz in, in the basement in his house in, 
granites. It's one of those like glass and wood schwitzes. I also always wanted to know why his face always looks so red. <laughs> the, among just, other things. You just, you just gave away the secret. The man's got a steam room down in his basement. <laughs> yes. So yeah, he comes outside looking all flushed. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But yeah. I go to the mikvah every day of my life. I go to the mikvah every 365. And I go to the mikvah every day I'm alive. And I go to the mikvah like it's going at a style. Thank you. Thank you so much.